3: a special edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. I have a special treat for you today. One of the things that you might be missing out on if you do not subscribe to the Buffalo Rumblings YouTube channel is you might be missing out on some of the great content that happens over there. Every week, Sundays, Mondays, Wednesdays, all sorts of times throughout the week, you get great shows. And one of those shows is the Hump Day Hotline. And the Hump Day Hotline is hosted by Joe Miller and Jay Spence the King. And last night, if you're listening to this on Thursday, the 1st, April Fool's Day, this is not a trick. It is not a trick at all. Last night, I was on with... Joe Miller because Jay Spence the King was not able to make it and the content that we were able to discuss was such an important topic that I decided I wanted to take that audio and make sure that I posted it as the pod today on Thursday and what you're going to listen to is a lively discussion with some robust dialogue regarding taking a running back in the first round. Myself, Joe Miller, Jay Spence makes an appearance. Joe Marino from the Lockdown Bills and the Draft Network makes an appearance. I wanted to give you a little bit of taste of what it is you might be missing out on if you're not subscribed to the Buffalo Rumbling YouTube channel. Make sure you go over there and do that. Make sure you tell somebody about it. The people that we have working over there, specifically Jay Spence and Joe Miller who do the majority of the work there, are great content creators. They do a wonderful job interacting with the fans every weeknight that they're on and really, really do a wonderful job. And because of that, I wanted to share my content, which is also their content, with you today. Without further ado, here you go.
4: Well, what is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome into the Hump Day day Hotline here on the Buffalo Rumblings Vidcast Network. My name is Joe Miller, and I am one of the co-hosts for the Hump Day Hotline. And unfortunately, tonight, my 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 main guy, my main squeeze, my bestie, Jay Spence, the king, is not going to be with us. He is traveling uh, this evening, and he is on the road. My guess is, is he's going to be in the chat, uh, is what he says. But it is so good to have you. Look, do me a favor. First and foremost, where, whatever platform you want, you're on, but primarily uh, on YouTube, hump that like. Jump on the like button and do me the favor of subscribing. We're we're, we're trying to get our subscriber numbers up, uh, but whatever platform you're on, Facebook, Twitter, Periscope, whatever you're watching on tonight, uh, jump on the like button. If you're on YouTube, subscribe. And oh, by the way, do me this one quick favor. It's about to go down tonight. So do me the favor of reaching out, retweeting this thing, telling a friend, hey, you got to get in on this thing because we're going to have some conversation tonight that's going to be a lot of fun. And with that, Uh, Tonight, I have the pleasure, nay, the privilege, if you will, uh, of being joined by the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the Alpha, lady! I'm the Omega, baby! The beginning and the end, the blue cheese and the buffalo wing, the sugar and the spice. He is everything nice, unless you're not nice to him on Twitter. Then you were met with a swift block. Ladies and gentlemen, the host of the Bruce exclusive on the Buffalo Rumblings podcast network, Bruce Nolan. Bruce, how are you?
0: I can't
3: breathe. I'm still laughing from the <laughs> clip. I was not expecting the clip from Bruce Almighty to pop in. What a great way to start, dude. I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing?
4: I am, uh, I am doing well. This has been uh, much anticipated for several weeks because there was the time, obviously, when uh, Jay Spence and I were talking about. Just taking a running back in the in this round as far as round one and you were in the chat and like i, I think most of the comment section was against you the problem is is like we went and got matt breeda and i had a great conversation with mookie hawkins on the overreaction podcast uh sunday night live um and back then you were like just give me a chance to defend myself and and we were like absolutely but what's funny is like, and I said this to Mookie, and I, and before we get started tonight, I'd love to know what you think about this. I said to Mookie, and I, I don't know if you caught it. I don't know how many people in the chat, in the chat and comment section, caught it, but I said, you know, if we had had the conversation about Matt Breida a week and a half ago, like, or or running backs, nobody nobody back then was like, oh, just go get Matt Breida. Like, if we get Matt Breida, like, problem solved. Matt Breida. All we gotta do is get Matt Breida. Meanwhile, we go and we surprisingly sign Matt Breida to a stupidly, ridiculously low contract, which is like mind numbing at like what being pulled off with this contract. And all of a sudden, everybody's like, oh, we got Matt Breida. We're good. Explain that to me real quick. Like, is Matt Breida really the answer? It depends on what you think the question
3: is. If the question is we need to be able to continue to potentially run outside zone and have someone who can break, put his foot in the ground, break off a long run with the speed and be able to be a one-cut downhill runner, then yes, you got that in Matt Breedia. If you just thought the thing that was missing, if the missing ingredient in the run game was someone who can run really fast in a straight line, right. then yes, Matt Breda was the answer. If you think the answer was a certain amount of dynamism, that you simply can't get from a Matt
4: Breida quality player. You just then stop. in that case, <laughs> like where do you get to no. verticality, dynamism, like <laughs> you come? Up these with are words, words, Joe. They're words, and <laughs> they are. They and are God Bruce-isms. gave us these words so that we may use them to describe running backs. They are brucisms. Is- if I've ever heard of brucism, they are brucisms. Am I wrong in saying that though, that like a week and a half ago, nobody was like, just go get Matt Breda. We need Brandon Bean to go get Matt Burita. Nobody was saying that. You're not wrong. You're
3: not wrong. There there wasn't a lot of things out there because I think that quite frankly, the narrative has a tendency to be a little bit. How do I say this? The narrative has a tendency to be a little bit shallow when it comes to things in the offseason. It rotates from one topic to one topic to one topic to one topic. Mm. And it was so focused on make sure you draft Travis Etienne at 30. Right. That you weren't even paying attention to whether or not there was speed available for there. And then all of a sudden you sign Matt Breida and you go, well, does does that do it? Like, are, are we are we good now? And if, <laughs> if you hadn't taken the time to think about ahead of time, what it is exactly that you wanted to accomplish, then you wouldn't necessarily have the answer. You would just jump at, Do I like it or do I not like it? Or you would just expose your predisposition to fanboying or fangirling over whatever it is that the team does, or being a negative Nancy about whatever the team does, which is just, you know, your, your basic disposition as it is. So I agree with you. I don't think that there were people out there going, guys, all we got to do now, hear me out. All we got to do is sign Matt Breida and we'll be fine. No one said that. Right. But when it happened, then they started to retroactively reevaluate why they wanted a running back in the first round to begin with. And some people ended up falling off the wagon and some people said, nah, 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 Matt Breida isn't going to satisfy the hankering that I've got for, you know, I got a fever and the only prescription <laughs> is Travis Etienne, you know? I, I got to have, I got to have more ETN, right? That's the way that some people feel about this. Right, right. And other people like Matthew Beck are team trade down and other people are CD2 and other people are different things. And there's Jay Spence. What the heck? Hey, <laughs> hey
4: quiet. What's quiet. going on? Don't don't give it away, Jay Spence. Yeah, I'm surprised that you're in here because you told us you were not going to make it. So
2: I wasn't going to make it and I made it.
4: I'm happy. <laughs> well, well. Interestingly <laughs> enough, enough, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, tonight we're going to be talking once we're going to be we're going to be debating debating once and for all settling all the ongoing bait, uh, running back uh, in round one or not. Uh, honest, to be honest, my opinion has changed. But this is the part that Jay Spence didn't know because I had a surprise. I was bringing in a ringer tonight, and there he oh. is. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Let's get it.
4: Cause I was not gonna like there's the scene from there's the scene from Star Trek, right? The Wrath of Khan, where it's like <laughs> yours is superior. Like I'm not I'm not I'm not here to match wits with Bruce Exclusive. So yeah. I had to find me a guy that could like Help me in this conversation. No, and
2: that's good. I appreciate it. I'm not gonna stay long. I just popped in to say I love y'all and, and y'all y'all representing. And I was gonna try to like have a little bit, but you got Joe, so I don't even I don't even need to do that. Like I I'm, I'm out of place.
4: Stick around, Spence. Joe Marino, how are you tonight?
2: I'm good, and I'll tell you
1: what. Bruce's face says it all. You know, you can just the guy stunned. Did not expect to see me tonight, and and you could just you can just see it. You know.
4: Uh, I feel
3: very ganged up on right now.
4: Yes. <laughs> yes.
3: Yes. I know that that was the intent of what happened, but I do feel very ganged up on right now. But you know what? I will defend myself against all uncommon. Bring any challenger, bring the challengers. I'm like the kid at the arcade who just stood there playing Ryu and just going, you know, Hadouken, 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 next. <laughs> hadouken, 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 you can. next. I over can and some- over again. I will take I- your quarters. Let's go. I can
4: sum up Bruce exclusive right here.
1: I'm the alpha lady.
2: I'm the Omega baby.
4: We'll see. We're about to find out.
2: <laughs> I just freaking love that movie. It's like the best movie.
3: It's such a great movie.
4: Uh,
2: it is. Uh, so let's, uh, Let's get
4: into it. So we're talking on the Hump Day Hotline on the Buffalo Rumblings Vidcast Network. I'm joined by my ge- my, my co-host, Jay Spencer King, who is a surprise. We weren't expecting up? him. Uh, and, and by Joe Marino, who is a surprise. And I tweeted a little bit ago, the, the bonus word for tonight is ringer. And that's my guy. Joe Marino is my ringer for the night. <laughs> oh, I got to uh, right.
2: I got to right the first yeah, time.
4: And then we got Bruce exclusive. So, Bruce, I think you want to talk. You want to open the show uh as far as that goes um so i think you've got you're going to start the topics tonight as far as running back in the first round why why not i'm going to give you the floor and then we're going to not pile on but we're going to we're going to retort right is that what we're talking about
3: i I guess i guess all three of you are going to retort but you know (laughs) bring it on man I, i need to get myself another another caffeinated beverage of some sort to be ready for all this but as As it is important to do with any argument, it's important to first frame the argument correctly. And the first thing that I want to make sure I get out of my mouth so we can make sure we're actually having an even playing field discussion is that the running back in the first round argument, yay or nay, is really about value. It's not about talent. So sometimes you have to make sure that you're actually having the same argument as someone else because... You, anyone who's been married for any sort of length of time realizes that very, very quickly, sometimes in your conversations with your spouse, you realize you're not even arguing about the same thing. This is <laughs> we're, we're not even having the same conversation right now. And it's very important that you set the stage appropriately for whatever the argument is going to be. In this case, it is that the argument about running backs not being a position that I want to draft in the first round under any circumstances is a value argument. It is not a talent argument, which means that no response or retort can be made saying, well, he's a good player. I know he's a good player. This has nothing to do with whether or not he's a good player. This has never been about whether or not Travis Etienne or Najee Harris or Devontae Williams or anybody else is a good player. It wasn't about that when it was Clyde Edwards-Alaire and Jonathan Taylor last year. It wasn't about it this year. It's never been about whether or not the player is talented. It's instead a value argument. Value is two sides of the coin, what you give and what you get. Talent is only one side of the coin, what you get. So if you only argue from a position of talent, if you only say, wait, Bruce, look how good this guy is, you are missing half of the argument necessary to determine whether or not the resource allocation is appropriate. And that's all we're talking about. We're not talking about whether or not they're a good player. We're not talking about whether or not they'll help the offense. We're talking about whether the resource allocation used on that position is good. Is that a good idea? Is it an appropriate use of limited resources? And that's the key is limited resources. You only have one first round pick. So what you give versus what you get, what you give is the first round pick. And the opportunity cost that comes along with not spending it on something else.
4: Right.
3: So can we agree before we even get started that this is a value discussion, not a talent discussion?
4: Yes. I'm in disagreement. Well, I agree. Marino? Spence agrees, Marino? <sighs> um. I love his voice.
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> I'm a Marito fan. <laughs> I uh,
1: I agree with you to an extent. I, I do think the reason we're here tonight to have this conversation is the practical application as it relates to the Buffalo Bills. Yes. And I think that variable is really important. And so that's where I'm interested in because Bruce man you know I agree with you. And And I don't know if you know where I stand on this running back in the first round thing. But the context that exists with this current Buffalo Bills team affects the way I think about it. I understand
3: that. A lot of people have the, I don't want to spend a first round pick on a running back, but this is different. A lot of people have that particular, I've seen this from people who were adamantly first round running back, you know, Poo-pooers, I guess. Me, and then yep, I, this year, I am too. This year, it's different. They say, "Well, the circumstances surrounding the team are different." So, what I'm going to outline in my, gosh, I can't believe I'm going to repeat what I'm going to outline in my outline. What I'm going to outline in my argument is that we perceive this year to be different, but it's not actually different.
4: Okay, I need to stop. So I don't. I don't. I, so I need. So I'm going to go next, right? So we're talking about value. It's not a. It's not about value and. For, for me, this year is different, and this year is different on many levels. And as much as I want to say this, this year is different on many levels, this year is different because of one name, Brandon Bean. Like what he has done with this entire roster is borderline masterful. The holes that we have on this roster are not exactly guys you would go after in the first round. The biggest hole we have is potentially what CB2, right, for sure. We're all going to agree, tight end. We're not going tight end in the first round. CB2 is an option, but the chances of us finding another Tradavius white at 27 or 30 like we did before are probably slim. This is what I would say as it pertains to value. And this is just me, a little bit of research that I did. The first thing I want to talk about is salary. While you can get a much lower salary from a third rounder, I would I would argue that the bills are going running back, or I would argue that the bills going running back at 30 is a far cry from going running back at top five and top 10. And I think to me, I've always been, you never go running back in the first round. I think all of us, all like anybody that knows anything about football, understands the draft football and understands value, is like you don't go running back like in the first round. But I think that's recency bias is a word that like Greg Thompson and Spence likes to use all the time. I think it's because we're so used to drafting somewhere between not five necessarily, but somewhere between eight and 15, like eight and 15, I'm not going running back because if you're drafting eight to 15, you've got a problem on your football team. More than likely, your problem on your football team is depth, right? So like just like slapping a weapon into that isn't necessarily going to give you or put you in a situation or a position to where like drafting a running back that high is going to like make a huge significant difference. However, at 30, you've got depth. AFC championship game. If I can give you numbers just for a second, the number five draft pick this year, number five, is expected to make twenty nine. his salary $29.1 million, $18.5 million signing bonus. Way too much to pay a running back in the first round, in my opinion. Unless your name is Saquon Barkley, maybe Christian McCaffrey, the value just isn't there. Number 30, 11.5. 11.5 11.5 for probably a four-year contract, 5.4 million signing. Here's the thing. This is where I want you to chain on. 61, so it's it's a 30, it's a 60% drop, 11 point, 29.1 to 11.5. It's a half drop to 61. 61 at number 61, 5.5 million, $1.3 million signing. And how about this? You go to four, like so 93, fourth round, 4.7 million. With an eight hundred twenty-two thousand dollars signing, to me the value changes because of that number thirty pick. That thirty pick is different, right? Like you're not talking thirty million dollars over four years. You're talking eleven. Yeah, if you only define value by salary, then yes, value is important. I agree with that. I but, have more. I I have I can I can but, go on.
2: But well but, but I guess well, I'm sorry because oh, I'm, ahead, gonna, I'm gonna leave as well, but that was my que- that was the question I was going to ask Bruce, because I agree with you that this question is a question about value, but the thing is, I just I feel that some fans value what a running back of the caliber of a ECN or whoever. I, I feel that people value what that could bring to this team. They value it more than you, which is okay. And I know you you tend to explain why you don't take a running back at 30. and You tend to explain why the value wouldn't be there. But for this team, I personally and I know I've been wrong a lot. And, and um, I've been right a lot with you recently this last month. I've been right a ton. Uh, but I feel that a running back for this team, we don't have major holes in a ton of areas on this team. Pass rusher. Yes, I'm with you. cornerback too. Would I like to upgrade. I don't think we have a hole. Would I like to upgrade? Yes. Um, I like the signing today. You know, I like the linebacker signing. I like, you know, I like what Brandon, Brandon Bean is a wizard, but I value what a running back, a dynamic guy in the backfield would do for this team over the value of maybe another position. So I guess I don't even know if that was a question, but Um, I'll, I'll leave it there and then I'll wait for your response, but I'll watch it on YouTube instead of like, be here for it. I love you guys. Have a good night, man. Always leaving us. Oh, wow. Yeah. I love (laughs) y'all. love you, Spence.
4: and we're back (laughs) jay spence upon attempting to leave the room uh found himself in a situation where he completely ended the show (laughs) he wanted to apparently get in the last word and he did at least so he thinks joe how are you i'm good
1: i'm good (laughs) glad glad to be here um I feel there's a part of me I got I got to be honest with you. I feel a little guilty cuz I know yeah. Bruce Bruce doesn't like the the off the cuffs type stuff and and I feel like I I'm, I I don't want to wreck
4: his presentation. You're not. You're not. So. You're not. He's he's looking for the debate. Bruce, is your microphone working?
3: Yeah. Yeah, it's working. It's working. <laughs> That was, like, all, all I had to do was just kind of twist around and get the knife that you stabbed in my back out of there, and then all of a sudden the mic was working a lot better. <laughs> see? You see, Joe. Yeah. See, he doesn't.
4: I got the. Wait, wait. What knife? There's no. I didn't expect Spence to show up. My ringer was Joe Marino. Like Joe. Listen, like when
1: I saw Spence, I'm like, I'm the one that's getting punked tonight. You know what I mean? <laughs> so you're just, you're just playing with everyone's minds tonight, here, Joe.
4: It's true. It's, it's so incredibly true. Look, um. We're talking about value. And what I'll do, because uh, uh, I know that this this is going to drop as a pod form for the Bruce exclusive. Um, and all of a sudden, we've got 300 people watching this thing. We went from, from 60 people to 300. I don't know how that happened, but maybe we should stop the show every time and restart it. Um, but uh, we were talking about value. Um, and I, I, do you want to respond to Spence's point? Because what I'll do is I'll send you both clips, Bruce, and then you can obviously stitch them together and make the transition. So I would tell you to probably just start – as though Spence just stopped talking.
3: Yeah, so value is interesting because like you talked about, value is not just necessarily salary. It's opportunity cost. It's what you could have spent that draft pick on. You get one first round draft pick every year, barring trades. And because of that, you get a chance to spend a premium pick on a premium talent and a premium difference maker. So let me ask you, between the two of you, what are some positions that you would say don't ever draft in the first round? Just between the two of you, do you have any hard lines where, like, don't ever draft that position in the first round? Go ahead. Um, running back. <laughs> you say running back, okay? Joe, you cle- you can't say running back. because okay, tight end,
4: tight end, tight end.
3: You kick, say never, dra- never draft a tight end kick, in the first round?
4: Kick, kicker says
3: Maria. Okay. Kicker, punter. Long snapper. Long snapper. What about like a two down thumper linebacker who doesn't offer any oh, coverage ability?
1: Yeah, definitely. Nope. Not a chance. What about a
3: one tech who doesn't pass rush? Nope. Can't do it. Okay. So what about a returner? Like
4: a kick returner? Like that's it. Just a kick return.
1: No, can't do well, it. I don't okay. know that
4: you're, I, I know where you're going with this. I don't know that you're helping your argument. Like that's the problem. That, okay. Go ahead. i with you. me. Okay.
3: Why is it? Why is that? Why do we don't, why do we not do that? Because we accept the fact that these positions don't move the needle significantly enough to contribute to winning. We know that they help the team. There are places on the team for two down run stuffing defensive tackles. There's a spot on a team for that position. There's a spot on the team for a kicker. There's a spot on the team for a punter. But they don't move the needle enough. They don't move the needle enough. It's not that they don't move the needle at all. It's not like they don't have any value. They have value. They don't have enough value. Mm -hmm. So what we currently exist in this space is we're in a passing league. First off, do I even have to go into the data on why this is a passing league, or can we all just accept that
4: as it's a a passing league?
3: Now, oh well, Bruce, you pass the ball to a running back. Dynamic play, dynamic playmaker out of the backfield. The EPA per play of targeting running backs is massively less than targeting tight ends and wide receivers. Throwing to running backs isn't even that efficient. It's not even that good of a value. It never has been. This idea that you have this dynamic receiving running back and they're going to change the, the dynamic of your offense is false. They help, and that's wonderful. They do. They move the needle. They just don't move it as much. So having a three-down running back and having a three down running back who you can throw the ball to is, is, it's a nice thing to have, but it's never going to prioritized. It's never going to be something that you're actively trying to achieve. So if passing to running backs is less efficient, even when they do contribute in the passing game and it's a passing league, then both the things the running backs do, which is running the ball and catching the ball in the backfield and blocking mm. all those things that running backs do are less valuable than players and positions who actually contribute toward the passing. So every first round pick, the reason why we all just agreed that two down thumper defensive tackles and two down thumper linebackers and kickers and punters and specialists and return men shouldn't be taken in the first round is because none of them move the needle significantly in the passing game.
4: Right. None of them. Right. Neither does a running back. Mm-hmm. Running backs don't move the needle significantly. Lidanian Tom- Tomlinson did not move the needle in the running game, in the passing game, rather. Damian Tomlinson was drafted 20 years ago. I, I, I'm just saying, like, so, like you're you're telling me that some of these guys, Christian McCaffrey, does not move the needle in the passing game? Not significantly enough relative to other positions. That's the you're, point. You're talking about guys with 70, 80 receptions
3: in a Absolutely. year. Absolutely. Yeah, 80. that's great. That's- and if I target if I targeted Zach Moss 120 times, I'll bet you he could have 70 gadgets too.
4: I doubt but it. But it's
3: it's never been efficient. It's never been efficient. If you go look up the EPA per play when targeting running backs versus the EPA per play when targeting tight ends and wide receivers, right. it is ridiculously bad. Like, it's something that you should only ever do as a last resort. And having someone who can take a check down is wonderful. That's good. That's a good thing. But it doesn't move the needle like throwing the ball to a wide receiver or throwing the ball to a tight end. Yeah. So the first and most important thing to talk about when you talk about running backs is they don't contribute significantly toward having a good passing offense or stopping a good passing offense. If you get a guard or a tackle or a defensive end or a coverage linebacker or a safety or a corner, every single position I just named or a quarterback or a wide receiver, all of those people help move the needle significantly in the most important aspect of the game, which is throwing the ball.
1: So Bruce if I if I can ask a question and I want to make something clear here I'm not I'm I didn't come on this tonight to to win an argument that's that's not my goal I want to ask the right questions to come to the right conclusions and admittedly I'm very much on the fence for this entire idea I'm warming up to it but I'm not, I don't know if I'm there because I think I'm going to mostly agree with everything that you said and so the, the main point that you just made there is this is a passing league it's the most important thing that you can do in the NFL and throwing the football to running backs is not across the entire NFL, the best way to throw the football. So let me add this layer to it. Let's apply this to the Buffalo bills. This is where I get interested in having a pass catching back like Travis Etienne. The point that moves the needle for me, and I'm interested in hearing if it does to you is if you had Travis Etienne in the backfield with Josh Allen, I think it would affect the way Josh Allen plays the game, the way that he surveys the defense. My issue with Josh Allen, a a declining issue, a minor gripe at this point, but I still think he's still too willing and too eager to take higher risk throws that are lower percentile when I'm looking for more profits. Mm. Sometimes I just want him. To hit that running back that's in the flats, or the, you know, a guy that if you get Travis Etienne isolated up on any linebacker in the game, you know, give him a two way go, he's going to read that leverage. He's going to get open. I like what Travis Etienne could mean to the Bills' offense as it would relate to Josh Allen's process of throwing the football and how that could lead to more consistency when it comes to finding profits. I don't think that's a
3: bad point. I've never, I don't, I don't think that's a bad point at all. I think that having somebody who can influence Josh Allen to get through a little faster, maybe Mm -hmm. instead of trying to break contain and make a second phase throw down the field can just dump it off to Travis Etienne. However, some of Josh Allen's best plays happened that way. Mm -hmm. So I, I struggle a little bit with wanting to give him an easy out especially when you consider the fact that it, I, I would, well, here's what i love to do. I'd love to be able to take the metrics on Josh Allen's second phase plays mm-hmm. versus the metrics of checking the ball down to a running back. Because I think that some of the biggest plays and, you know, Stefan Diggs in the scramble drill was a revelation this year. Yeah. And you might take a different approach at that. You might think that if you inspire Josh Allen to take the easy profits that you maybe miss out. On some of those things that make players like him, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, the players who are the new dynamic in the NFL quarterback. Joe, you and I were talking about this before we, we started. That's the next wave of quarterbacks. It's quarterbacks who can win from the pocket, but can make big plays off schedule. And that's the reason why I messed up so badly when I was evaluating Josh Rosen, is because he couldn't do that. And that's what I my big takeaway from that was you got to have a quarterback who can do that. And I do think that having Check down opportunities to Travis Etienne is valuable, but not at the expense of some of the special playmaking abilities we've seen.
1: I think that's a really good counter and layer to add to the question that I asked. Let me introduce one more point. And this, when I saw this today on my Twitter timeline, I mean, my eyes popped out of my head. It was by Eric Turner, cover one. He put out that there's a statistic right now that over the last two years, Devin Singletary has six drops on mm-hmm. screen passes from Josh Absolutely. Allen. I think I think there's some stuff in our heads you can you can remember some of these plays, right? That mm-hmm. happened. You're in like just inexplicable drops from Devin Singletary. So I I I can buy what you're selling there when it comes to second phase plays and, and you would potentially be taking away some of Josh Allen's best moments. There's a lot of layers to running the screen game, but from a very elementary perspective, it's setting it up. It's throwing the ball and it's catching it. That's not even happening when Devin Singletary is that backed, and so maybe maybe it's not as aggressive. Of oh my gosh, we need Devin Singletary or excuse me, Travis Etienne at pick thirty because we need somebody that's not going to drop you know six screen passes every two years. But I do think that there would be an upgrade in those moments. And I I, again, it's only six plays out of I don't know two thousand that have been run over the last two years for the Bills. But how do you how do you factor that into it?
4: I'll let you go. Go ahead, Bruce. I
1: think you factor it in by
3: running those pass plays through Zach Moss and Matt Breida instead. That that's that's how I think you do it. Uh, Matt Breida is perfectly reasonable receiving back, in my opinion. I think Zach Moss was perfectly reasonable receiving back as well. I'm completely okay. You know, if T.J. Yeldon was still on the team, I'm completely okay having him run those plays. Um, I think that a weakness in Singletary is admitted and noted but also not necessarily in and of itself a significant enough reason to I say overcompensate, but but to take something as an extreme of a solution. It's like killing a spider with a flamethrower, mm-hmm. right? Draft, drafting Travis it, Etienne in the first so you have somebody who doesn't drop the
4: ball and screen passes is a little bit like killing a spider with a flamethrower. Yeah, but aren't you doing that same thing? Aren't you killing a spider? If, if the spider is you don't draft a running back in the first round, if that's the spider, aren't you killing it? With a flamethrower by saying that because the in the NFL, the running backs, like it's just not an efficient EPA situation as far as like throwing to the running back when what 80%, 75% of NFL teams that are throwing to the running back are throwing to the likes of Zach Moss and the likes of Devin Singletary. I mean, Josh Allen, the last ball, the last dropped screen pass to Joe Marino's point in my mind is the most one of the most beautiful loopy passes i saw what do we what do we know about Josh Allen he doesn't have touch he struggles with touch he threw in that Kansas City Chiefs game the most beautiful loopy pass over the linebackers and the rushing defenders to Devin Singletary to which devin dropped it that's not what we're talking about we're not talking about 80% of the league we're talking about getting a guy at 30 that is equipped to be a pass catching running back which is a different conversation Than Zach Moss, if you're talking about the effect on the team, this guy is going to help Josh Allen in many ways Uh, from being a release valve that he trusts. What what does it mean to Josh Allen to know I have a high low, I'm always going to take the high and I'm going to be a risk taker. However, you know what? I've got this dude like that I've never had before. And all of a sudden I've got this guy that I can like, he's going to find an open spot. I know where he's at in the flat. He's going to catch the ball. And when he catches it, he's going to take it 18 yards. What does that do for Josh Allen if he knows that he's got a guy and the guy's going to, like, be effective? He's not going to be 75%, 80% of the running backs in the NFL. He's going to be in the 20%. He's going to be a guy that's different. What does it mean if, like, this dude can close out football games? Like, when the bills are up by 23 points against the Rams, And Josh just has to turn around and give the football to the guy. And the dude like just trucks, people like just trucks, people and closes out a football game. And the Rams don't score 25 points against us. And then we have to come back against them to win the football game. What does it mean? If you're dictating to defenses in a pass heavy league, we all agree that this is a pass, a pat. It's a passing league. If you've got a situation where teams are gearing themselves, building their teams to stop the pass. If all of a sudden, Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. And Josh Allen befuddled, befuddled so many amazing defensive coordinators and defensive head coaches in this league last year. Literally, Robert Sala, Vic Fangio, you name them. They were all like, I don't know how to stop this kid. And oh, by the way, now you're going to give him a running back that's going to like just blast people in the face and like be a nightmare so they have to worry about that guy too? Where is the value in that? I don't know you what don't have to about. draft someone at thirty to get that, at all. There is no requirement that you
3: do so. In fact, sixteen there's a, there's of the top a, twenty running backs luck, in the NFL were not drafted in the first round.
4: There's a luck factor to it, because we're talking about win, if we're talking about win we're talking about win win rate in the draft. First round, fifty percent, right? Would you agree? It's fifty percent. More running backs translate nah. immediately to the NFL. Oh, than that's absolutely any other, true. Any other position, which is one of the reasons you can get one later. You because can. you don't need a first
3: round to do or it, or you could end up with Zach Moss and Devin Singletary, who are perfectly reasonable running backs for the purposes of their their jobs. They weren't last year. They didn't hold this offense back from being the best
4: offense in the history of the Buffalo Bills. They they at all. I would I would agree with that because is that is that because is that because of their talent or is that because of Josh Allen's talent?
3: That's because the talent the running back doesn't move the needle on offense significantly enough, last year's proof of it. I, that, that's one of my favorite things. One of my favorite things is we all think that running backs move the needle when the best offense that the bills have ever put out is now the offense. We all say needs a running back. If running backs really moved the needle that much and the running backs are really that bad, we wouldn't have had the best offense in the history of the franchise. Agreed. That's why they don't, they this don't move the needle that much.
4: This is such a fun topic. And Joe, you haven't got a chance to talk in a I, I love this topic because I was the guy at week 10, week 12 saying, stop trying to run the football, throw it. <laughs> like, this is what you do. You've got a guy, like you've got not Dan Marino, but you've got a guy that can chuck the football all over the football field and beat people. Like, for me, there's just an aspect of because of it's, it's situational. Is it not situational to Joe's point? Like, we are in a situational position where – 30 it's no longer a luxury pick it's now a. this shit makes sense go get a guy
1: if i can add something here um i think one of my biggest concerns maybe not the biggest but certainly high on the list one of the things that i'm most concerned about if the bills were to draft a running back at pick 30 is that because you did this because you've made a premium investment in a running back that you now feel obligated to get them the football you know Ooh. and so I you saw this happen last year with with the Carolina Panthers when when Christian McCaffrey was hurt and Mike Davis came in and was terrific right I mean for the most part he was really 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 good and as somebody who watched you know part of my job is I watch the Carolina Panthers and so I'm very in depth with what's going on there what I thought a big difference was in that offense with Mike Davis as the lead back versus when Christian McCaffrey was there is that there wasn't this burden that existed to get the ball to Christian McCaffrey. And if you watch the Carolina Panthers, sometimes they give the ball to Christian McCaffrey for no other reason than to just get in the ball. There's no creativity. It's literally drop back pass, flare out for Christian McCaffrey, dump it off in the flats, make three guys miss please, so we can have a positive play. And I think that there is this burden that comes on you. Wow, we, we picked this player in the first round. We think he's really dynamic. And so we need to make sure that this is a prominent part of what we do. That's a concern of mine when you talk about bringing in Travis Etienne or whatever running back at pick 30 that doesn't exist right now. You pick your your two lead guys are third round backs. There's no burden, right? You're not sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, we have got to maximize Zach Moss and Devin Singletary. Now, admittedly, I wish that the running backs that Brandon Bean invested in the second or, you know, day two were different players that brought different dynamics to the table. But I do get concerned that you somewhat constipate your offense when you introduce a player like Travis Etienne or you pay big money for a running back because you have to maximize that investment. And personally, I don't want to see the Bills do that. The fact that you can have
3: a dynamic player like Travis Etienne and that repeated usage and forcing the ball to him can, quote, constipate the offense, like Joe just said, that's proof right there that you should use running backs. You should have them. under no circumstance should your offense flow through a running back when you have Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs at no point at any point. And anything that pushes the needle towards running this offense through a running back is going against everything that made this offense so successful last year. And on that note, you have to consider the dependency of the running back Mm. position. And that's one of the things you have to note. Okay. It's been proven That offensive line and scheme are more correlative to rushing success than running back talent. In fact, the most correlative thing to rushing success is box numbers, which is largely a result of scheme and formation setting. That's largely a result of that. So the most effective thing you can do to run the ball effectively is keep men out of the box. That's the best thing you can possibly do, which you do through passing the ball and spreading the field. So one of two things happens with a running back when you draft them high. Either you you take them and they go to a good team that has a really good support system and they have an already established offensive line scheme and that's really good, in which case they're able to have their production replicated by a less valuable player. So you have this happen when Kareem Hunt goes down and Damian Williams comes in and wins the Super Bowl with Kansas City Chiefs. Or when Clyde Edwards-Alaire goes down and Darrell Williams comes in and it's perfectly effective or when Ezekiel Elliott goes down and Tony Pollard is comes in is just effective, if not more effective. So we if two things happen,
4: go ahead, hey, wait. So I, I don't know where you guys stand in fantasy football. I've played fantasy football a very long time. One of the leagues that I'm in the primary league that I'm in has been around since 1994. That is not an exaggeration. Like literally like we would get together at, at Tom Snyder's house for Monday Night Football, with the, with the box scores, we add up everybody's scores, we'd watch the football game together, 94. I don't think that's a fair argument, Bruce. And the reason that I don't think it's a fair argument is because when you've got a guy that there's no film on, they come in, and for one game, they dominate. And usually the shelf at game two is dramatic. Oh my gosh, we have to face whatever, Tony Pollard. We have no film on him. We don't know what he's going to do. Sure enough, In all three examples I just gave that didn't happen.
3: Oh, Damian Williams. Damian, Dam, go look at go look at Damian Williams' run
4: with Kansas City. A great, fantasy, a great went fantasy, down. A great didn't fantasy, even miss beat. a great fantasy strategy is to draft a or, or to, to pick up off the waiver wire the backup for running back that just went down for one game because at game two he's going to suck. He's going to be down about sixty yards like for the entire game. And that's where he's going to live because his talent level is going to come out. no game. A player matters.
3: I mean, if you, if you look, if you go, go look at the three examples I had, go look at Tony Pollard, go look at Daryl Williams and go look at Damian Williams. The the, it's there. So that's the first thing that happens. Either you have a running back who goes to a, a great team at the end of the first round or goes to an already established team with a great running scheme and a good offensive line, in which case they're easily replaceable Mm -hmm. or they go to a team really high, like Saquon Barkley, and they don't have a supporting cast around them, and they don't elevate the team because running backs aren't that valuable. Either way, it's been proven running backs aren't valuable. If you put them in a good supporting cast, then they're easily replaceable. Yeah. And if you put them with a bad supporting cast, then they fail to elevate the team around them. Yeah. That I, shows you that they're simply not that valuable. The top 20 running backs, 16 of them weren't taken in the first round. James Robinson is not an outlier. James Robinson is the rule at this point. Being able to find running backs in the third round, in the second round, in the fourth round, in the fifth round, being able to find Kareem Hunts and Alvin Kamaras, being able to find players like that is not an exception anymore. It happens so often. It's not an exception. We talk about Tom Brady in the sixth round and some people are like, oh, well, let's just draft a quarterback in the second. Tom Brady's an exception. Most of the good quarterbacks in this league were drafted in the first round. Mm-hmm. Most of them were. The inverse of that is true for running backs. Why? Because they're so dependent. Quarterbacks can elevate the team around them and can be plugged into lots of different things and have their talent shine through. Running backs can't. And if you have a position that is that dependent, then why are you spending a premium pick on it?
1: I. I hear you on that. The the dependency of running back certainly relies on a lot of other factors. The concern that I would have about that, and I agree with you that running the football really does come down to a a math equation. Do you have numbers in the box? The Bills had that last year, right? I don't, I I used to say this stat so often in the podcast uh, that I could recite it at any point, but I'm not able to, to recall it right now, but something about how the Bills uh, fo- faced the the most amount of uh, – or, or top five in terms of lightest box, six men or less in the box, and they were like 18th in yards per carry. So for whatever reason, that math formula that is tried and true, so much so that the Bills ran the ball with Josh Allen frequently enough to get even more favorable numbers, they still didn't have consistency when it came to that output. And I, I mean – I think for a lot of positions, I don't I don't know that I could really identify a position and say, well, it's not reliant on other factors. Like wide receivers, you need to have a good quarterback. A quarterback has to have time to throw. He needs an offensive line. Offensive linemen independently don't matter, right? I I, I don't know. Like, I, I think that all the positions kind of work together and are reliant upon others.
3: It is an ultimate team game. There is no such thing as a position that's completely non-dependent. You're absolutely right. The question is simply the degree to what dependency you have. How much dependency? Because all of them have some level of dependency. We have seen good quarterbacks go to systems that are terrible with offensive lines that are horrible with no weapons. And then all of a sudden teams are like, well, gosh, we got to do something for this quarterback. Well, obviously, if the quarterback was capable of elevating terrible talent around him all the time, there would be no need to go out and get a Stefan Diggs. So for sure, absolutely true that every position is dependent. Running backs are simply most dependent. But the other argument I get on this all the time is Bruce, you're too rigid. That's too rigid. Why are you drawing the cutoff on the first round? Why Why would you do that? Why on earth would you possibly just draw that cutoff? It's too rigid. First off, y'all being hypocrites because you all have, you all have rigid cutoffs too. The difference is mine at least has a spot where it makes logical sense.
4: I don't, so, but I disagree. I don't know that the logical sense is pick 32 versus pick 33. Well, we're going to go through that right now. I gave you. You, I gave Joe, you you back? I gave you the contract. No. You franchise running no. back? I, ca- okay, I gave well, you the contract. Would well, franchise a running back? No, I gave you the contract. Well. I gave the contract right. values for pick 30 versus pick five. To me, right. five makes no sense drafting a running back. Pick thirty. So you have you have a hard cutoff too. Yours just happens to be at five. I asked somebody. No, no, it, it's probably around 20. I asked somebody. So you're t- it might have been you. I it, like you would not take a running back at 30. No. Would you take a running back no. at 34? Yes. No. It's like what the. Yes. F- yeah, you want to know why? We're going to talk about this. We're going to talk
3: about this. We're going to talk about this. You just said you would not franchise a running back. Joe, would you franchise a running back? Fully guaranteed franchise tag.
4: You can't go Joe and you can't go Joe M. Sorry, so Joe Marino.
3: Full names. Joe Marino, would you franchise a running back?
1: <laughs> when I franchise a running back, I would franchise a running back before I gave them a long-term sal- uh, you know, contract. You you prefer that. Yeah, I think I mean, I'd have to know my cap dynamics if I'm the New England Patriots and I have $90 million in cap space and I'm not paying a quarterback and I don't want to pay my running back for a long-term, but I really like him and I don't want to lose him and I want him for one more year. I would, right. I don't know. I think there's a lot of context that would play into it. I think mostly I wouldn't do that, but I think there's circumstances where I would. And I think that's a lot more appealing to me than, uh, you know, signing Aaron Jones to whatever ridiculous deal the green Bay Packers
4: signed him to joe miller what's the difference between pick 32 and pick 33 to me there's no difference like literally there's an arbitrary there's an arbitrary semantical idea of one versus two first round second round and it's literally one pick away it means nothing so it actually does mean something and it's the fifth year option
3: first round contracts are actually fundamentally structured different it's the fifth year option the fifth year option option has value it, has, it value, has value, but it, it almost adds to my argument because now you can Actually, keep a guy for the first yeah, year. But if but there's opportunity costs associated with that. If, yes. if, if, if franchise tagging a wide receiver is on general better idea than franchise tagging a running back and the fifth year option is a mini franchise tag, then you are losing opportunity cost to be able to get 20% more of a contract out of a position that's more valuable, that moves the needle more in the passing game than a running back when you decide to pick a running back in the first round over a different position. You are losing that option. That's an opportunity cost that you have that you have given up by taking your running back. The fifth-year option fundamentally has contractual value because one of the reasons why teams trade up into the bottom of the first round to try and take a quarterback is so they have that fifth-year option. They want that. They want to have that additional 20% because at the time when that contract option is exercised, it's actually markedly below market value for a quarterback. The same thing applies to significant skill positions. It's going to apply to a defensive end. It's going to apply to an offensive tackle. It's going to apply to a corner. It's going to apply to a wide receiver. Wide receiver. It's going to apply to a tight end. These things are going to matter. And so when you take a running back... You are taking one of the most valuable pieces of a first round pick contract, which is the fifth year option, and you are choosing to exercise it in a less efficient manager management way. You're choosing to exercise it in a way that
4: is less beneficial
3: than it otherwise would have been if you would have spent it on a
4: more significant position. The problem with that argument, the problem with the philosophy and the passion inside of that argument is this and I see it coming up in the ch- in the comments section is is this it's literally I'm gonna go after the edge rusher at 30 or the cornerback at 30 because from a value standpoint if it hits it makes way more sense. meanwhile the hit percentage is far lower than at running back when you've got a deep squad. You're gonna to have to well, give me stats on that because I don't think that's actually true. There's no stats that exist. I mean, it's. It, it, I don't think like the Henry hit rate could...
3: on first round running backs is actually better than the hit rate on first. What round is the hit
4: rate on, right on an edge rusher at thirty, like late in the draft? I mean, for God's sake, we we, we we traded up to draft John McCargo in the first round, and and like he was outplayed by a fifth round draft pick in Kyle Williams for twelve years. I mean, like we're yeah. talking about, we're talking about the difference between. Running backs translate to the NFL faster, quicker, and more real than almost any other position in the NFL. The other
3: hit rate rates for running backs team. aren't
4: better. The hit rates for running backs is not better than other positions. You're right. They translate
3: more, which means they need less of a seasoning time, which means you shouldn't draft one a year before you need one because they come into the league and their athletic prime and you can throw them in. So but what happens when you need rate one? On running backs, the hit rate on running backs isn't better. But what happens when you need one? Then the you bill can bill draft one bill. that year in the third
1: round. The let me give you a number here because I I do think, I think we're being too kind to the hit rate of running backs. Uh, from two thousand nine to 2016, 13 running backs were taken in the first round of the draft. Only Zeke Elliott is still with his original team. Nine of those thirteen are no longer even in the NFL. The others that remain, in addition to Zeke Elliott, is Todd Gurley, Melvin Gordon, and Mark Ingram. There's not there's not this tried and true pick a running back in the first round, and, and they're going to be a good player. Like, I, I don't agree with that. I think I think you that. maybe have a better chance. I mean, I did a study on lockdown bills where I talked about the bottom 25% of the first round and hit rate for defensive ends, and there's no success stories. And you're going to talk to me about T.J. Watt. T.J. Watt is, is listed as a linebacker. He's a 3-4 rush linebacker. <laughs> in terms of true 4-3 defensive ends, go back the last 10 years, you will not find a single hit. It won't. You won't find it. So back to what Bruce is saying about the value of that fifth-year option. There's no question that if it is a hit, like let's, un, let's operate under the assumption that this is a hit. If it winds up being a hit at pick 30, that fifth-year option is significantly more valuable at a different position. But I think there might be an argument to be made that it's a way to keep that running back for longer because no matter what, no matter if the Bills draft Travis Etienne at 30 and he rushes for 2,000 yards for five consecutive seasons and is the NFL MVP twice, I will not be in favor of extending him to a long-term deal. I See, that's my hard and fast rule. You never, 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 never pay running backs. Agreed. So... That's where I think there's might be a, an argument to be made that maybe the argument that Bruce is making about the fifth year option it does have some value as it relates to running backs because you do buy a little bit more time on a player that you really don't look at as more than a five year option for your team.
3: Maximizing ROI is about getting a player in the first round who you can use the fifth year option on and extend. Because the longer they're on your team, the better ROI you got on that pick. And that's part of it. And if you have a player who you don't intend to keep for the next 10 years, you don't want to. In fact, you're trying actively to run them into the ground and then let them leave. Yeah, exactly. Then You shouldn't be paying premium prices for them. And premium prices not necessarily being salary. Premium prices being draft capital that you can no longer use Mm -hmm. on something else because you use it up on a running back. So if we acknowledge these bumpers when it comes to running backs, whether that's my stance of don't use the fifth year option on them ever, right, or Joe's maybe use the fifth year option on them, Joe Marino's maybe use the fifth year option on, them, but never extend them, right? Whatever those bumpers are, as those bumpers squeeze in and in and in and in and in, you all of these things have to be perfect, and that leads you to the final point. The final point is well, we're in a Super Bowl window. It's a luxury pick. This is a really good team. It's a luxury pick. We can do this. This roster's good. That is a, a level of arrogance that I can't get
2: to. I can't
3: do it. I can't do it. I'm ask the Chiefs. I'm not there either. I'm not there either. Ask the Chiefs if they are still really happily, happy about picking Clyde Edwards Alaire now that they have no tackles.
4: Ooh, well, they just ask, signed. One. They just signed one.
3: Ask the Chiefs if they're really, really, really happy with their luxury pick. There are here, here's a bruceism. There are no luxury picks. They don't exist. The minute you take your eye off the ball, when it comes to value, you fall behind. You might think you can get a little fast and loose with some of the rules when you get a good team and you're like, man, you know, we were in the AFC Championship game. Look at us. But Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders are both 32 plus. There is a very reasonable chance that this offense in 2022... Is in desperate need of a wide receiver. That's a possibility. Emmanuel Sanders is on a one-year deal, and Cole Beasley's 32 and coming off a broken leg. We all just assume Gabriel Davis is going to be the next 1,000-yard receiver, but what if he's not? All of a sudden, you go into 2022 with maybe a a regressing Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders is now 35, and Gabriel Davis may or may not have taken the next step, but even so, he was probably wide receiver four this year. You going to bank on him? No. If you draft a wide receiver in the first round this year, you're still better off because what you did was you didn't become a prisoner of the moment, right? You didn't think to yourself that everything's going to work out and you're going to finesse this roster to death, but that's not the way football works. One injury changes things. It's the same reason why I pounded the table for a backup quarterback because the roster's too good to have Josh Allen go down and have your whole season tanked because he's down for four games. Because this idea that everything is going to be absolutely perfect, crystal clear, on paper, and it's going to be wonderful forever, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Players are going to leave. Players are going to regress. Brandon Bean signs these players to these contracts that we laud him for Mm. because he can get out of them early, right? We always say, hey, it's a really good contract. You can get out of it early. Well, if you need to get out of it early, if you need to actually exercise that option, that's a hole. And holes are created all over the place. There are no teams with no holes. They don't exist. So this argument that this is a really good team, we don't have any holes, go after your Super Bowl, to me, all you're just not looking at next year. You're not looking at the year after that. You're not understanding that there are risks associated with having 34-year-old wide receiver twos and 32-year-old slot receivers coming off broken legs and both of your pass rushers who start being 30-plus one of whom is on the way of regression and one of whom could regress at any moment. We don't think about that. Instead, we just think about right now. Luxury picks are not a thing because the second you took your eye off the ball and you started thinking, I'm good, I can do whatever I want now. I can get a little cute. You missed out on an opportunity to make your team better.
1: Bruce, if there's a a point that I think I am most hung up on and I'm certainly wanting your perspective on this it's when it comes to immediate impact and we all acknowledge that running backs enter the NFL in their prime and if the bills were looking for a player that could actually come in and make an impact with pick 30 it's unlikely to be a defensive lineman I don't know that it would be an offensive lineman you're playing the long game with a wide receiver and again I I probably side with all of these things right I I'm I, I I don't know that I am in favor of picking this running back at 30. Even if they were to pick a cornerback, too. Bruce, you know that Sean McDermott loves Levi Wallace like he's his son. All right, He's a starting cornerback <laughs> opposite <laughs> of Trey White this year. Nobody that they're picking at 30 is going to unseat Levi Wallace. Do you not acknowledge that, Yeah, it's probably the best way to get an immediate impact? And I understand that that's somewhat in the face of everything you just said about being mindful of needs long-term, all that stuff. But do you at least acknowledge that, yeah, there's a chance that this could be the best way for the Bills to get a big-time immediate impact out of pick 30?
3: Absolutely. I think there's absolutely an argument to be made that if you want someone to come in and immediately provide you with an upgrade at a position, just a, a position, then you can look at players like, I mean, I'm not a big Matt Hawk fine, fan. You, you could draft a punter and have a, an immediate upgrade at starter, right? You can draft a linebacker and have an immediate upgrade over AJ Klein and three in base sets. You can draft a CB2. Like you said, you probably might not see the field, but Tradavius White, you know, walked in off the, walked off the bus as a starter. You know, Tremaine Evans walked off the bus as a starter. I understand they weren't competing with Levi Wallace, <laughs> but I think that there's plenty of positions. I think, I think you could have an, in, an interior offensive lineman come in and start over John Feliciano. I think that's a possibility too, but I don't think there's a question. I think you're right. That a running back can come in here and walk in the door as RB one, that's a real thing that can happen.
1: I, I get a little bit hung up on some some of your talking points when when as it relates to you know you're, I feel like you're lumping running backs into like the same bucket as a run stopping defensive tackle and a a Sam linebacker that plays ten snaps a game or a punter or a return guy or a long snapper. Like, I, I mean, a running back. If he's going to be your lead back, I mean, we're talking about a guy that's going to touch the ball 200, 250 times a game. Like, I don't I don't necessarily relate to that talking point that it's the same value as a guy that plays 10 snaps a game on defense or is just an early down run stuffer or is a punter. Like, do you think I mean, are you willing to acknowledge that maybe maybe that's a little aggressive to put a running back in that same bucket? They're not in the same bucket. I use them as examples of positions
3: that we globally accept or devalued so that mm-hmm. we can start to have a reasonable conversation about the reason why they're devalued and that those same factors apply to the running back, although in a lesser extent, I so agree that running backs are more that, important. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's not just, it's not just valuable or not valuable. This whole thing is a spectrum. It's one of the reasons why you and I were both completely okay with taking Jonathan Taylor. If he was on the board
1: mm-hmm.
3: last year in the second round, we were both completely cool with that because Running back by committee, which is one of the other things that devalues running backs, by the way, is the running back by committee concept. It devalues running backs. You know he's going to get 150 to 200 touches. So if you know that those touches were previously going to go to TJ Yeldon, but now they're going to go to Jonathan Taylor, you can sign me up for that. We understand that. So I don't think they are in the same value bucket as punters, kickers, specialists, two-down thumper linebackers, two-down thumper defensive tackles. I use those as an example because what happens is People refuse to accept that running backs are less valuable than quarterbacks, wide receivers, offensive linemen, corners, tight ends, safeties, but they don't seem to have trouble accepting that those positions are. And so what I'm drawing is I'm drawing this idea that there are positions that are intrinsically less valuable. Why are they intrinsically less valuable? It's because they don't move the needle in the pass game. Then from there you go, running backs don't move the needle in the pass game significantly either. So they can't be as valuable as valuable. Not in the same bucket as the the you know the star two lays of the world, the two down run stuffing defensive tackles. I do think running backs are more valuable than those positions, but they're never going to be as valuable as the positions that move the needle significantly in the most important aspect of the game.
4: This has been an incredible conversation. Like literally, like the respect that I have for both of you, like and to me as debates go, like this this has just been bucket filling for me does that make sense like when i say bucket filling like there's just this has just been a spirited fun conversation uh ladies and gentlemen you are watching the humpty hotline on the uh buffalo rumblings bidcast network i am joined by guests uh joe marino and bruce nolan uh f- well i guess joe marino is from the locked on podcast network the uh locked on pills and then uh bruce exclusive uh bruce nolan is uh the host of the bruce exclusive but uh I'm just like, to me, there's just something about this whole conversation that is like, we're just, I have spent all of 2020 talking about the fact that Bill's mafia is living in wildest dreams land. Like we're sitting here in freak almost all we're, we're a couple hours from April 1st, arguing about whether or not the bills have the ability or the, whatever you want, we're drafting 30. And do we take a running back at 30? Because like this, this, this roster is so deep. This team is so good, right? We're chasing two teams, the Chiefs and the Buccaneers. Like there's just something to be said for like what it is that we're had 20 years, bro. Like bros, like we lived we lived in freaking freaking purgatory for 20 years and this is the conversation that we're having.
1: It's a good problem to have. <laughs> Can I go back, Bruce? You you mentioned Y- the conversations that you and I had last year about running backs—it was a pick fifty-four the Bills had, what mm-hmm. they wanted picking up, Anessa. And you and I were were pretty together in that. All right, right now this is Devin Singletary, TJ Yeldon, TJ Yeldon, one hundred and fifty touches a year. That didn't move the needle for us, and so we were thinking, okay, yeah, give us Jonathan Taylor. We like JK Dobbins, we like Cam Akers. Um, I'm sure there's another good running back that I'm not thinking of right now, but like we were thinking that this is a great way to upgrade the football team. And I know that's a different conversation because it's pick 54 versus pick 30. Mm -hmm. The part of the reason we're having this conversation right now is because they drafted Zach Moss and we both like Zach Moss. You and I, I mean, just to be completely transparent, we did after the draft and we'll do it again this year, you know, who we would have picked if we, you know, we were in Brandon Bean's shoes and we, neither one of us changed our mind on Zach Moss in the third round. Mm-hmm. The problem is that it feels like the more that we look into this and we realize that Devin Singletary was really aided as a rookie. I mean, he 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 tied Derrick Henry for, for guys with over 150 rushing attempts in 2019. He was tied for the league lead and yards per attempt. Right there with Derrick Henry. And the reason for that is because he faced the highest percentage of light boxes in the NFL. And this guy was just feasting because nobody was in the box. And Frank Gore was doing this downhill banger role that he was, uh, you know, really doing the dirty work when it comes to the offense. And I think we maybe convinced ourselves that, oh, well, Zach Moss can come in and do that at the same level as Frank Gore did. And, um, you know, Devin Singletary can continue to feast on these light boxes. Well, now we've, at least I feel differently, right? Cause I'm down on Devin Singletary, uh, right now. And, and look, there's certain weeks where I might be convinced that Moss is the better back. Singletary is the better back. I, I'm anxious to see Zach Moss next year when he's healthy and has a normal onboarding process to learn the playbook and get familiar and see what he can do. But like, what is your confidence level right now going into this year? Let's assume that it's Moss Singletary Brita. I mean, is this the right makeup back there? Are you looking for anything to upgrade in this backfield? Like, how do you tie all of these layers together, considering where we were last year, the conversations we had, what's happened, where we are now? Like, how do you make sense of all of it?
3: I'm completely fine going into the year with Singletary, Brita, and Zach Moss. I'm completely cool with that. I was always of the opinion that the interior guard play that the Bills got from Cody Ford and then Ike Butker and John Feliciano when he came back and Brian Winters before he was benched, all of these things, plus the sudden love affair that Brian Dable had with zone running, those two things contributed far more to the rushing failures than running backs. I'm not saying that running backs didn't have their moment. If you you do plurality pie when you're sitting there, and you're going, okay, what percentage of the rushing successes and failures are associated with each individual thing, then I would probably go offensive line scheme running backs in that order. Mm-hmm. And so when I look at things like that, and I want to move the needle in the running game. I don't look to the running backs to do it. I look to Ryan Dable to go back to a little bit more of the man gap power scheme that he used in 2020 20, in 2019. And a little bit away from the zone stuff but if you want to keep doing the zone stuff now at least you have a zone runner with matt breeda to be able to do it with right so i think having a complimentary piece in the backfield who runs the outside zone he doesn't shanahan and then he goes to of course chan gailey's offense in miami who runs gap power all the time and spreads you horizontally that was a weird fit from the beginning matt breeda and chan gailey's offense was a weird fit from the beginning and so I think that if you have your designated zone runner, right, with Matt Breida, and you get back to having Devin Singletary do the things that Devin Singletary was effective at, and you continue to be able to run 11 and 10 personnel to be able to lighten those boxes, then I think you're going to be able to see more success in the running backs without necessarily needing to invest significant assets in the position.
4: That's good. Well, we have literally come full circle uh, here on the Humpty Hotline uh, with uh, Joe Marino uh, from the Locked on Bills podcast and uh, Bruce Nolan from the Bruce exclusive. And uh, gentlemen, uh, are you guys open to taking some questions from the comment section? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah? Absolutely. Well, the first one we got is from Chris Jenke, the real Chris Jenke. And uh, Bruce, this question is for you. Uh, he says, question for Bruce. How would you compare Matt Breed's skill set to former uh, Bill Mike Gillisley. The more I read about him, the more he sounds like Gillisley and not in a bad way.
3: That's actually uh that's actually a really funny comparison. I actually don't think that's a bad comparison at all. Um, Gillisley, same kind of player, you know, foot in the ground, hit the you know, hit the gas and let's go. Right. Gillisley ran Gillisley wasn't quite as fast as Brita. Gillisley was like a four, like a mid four five guy. He just looked fast. But he actually wasn't as fast as Brita. I think that Brita is Mike Gillisley on steroids. Metaphorically speaking, not literally speaking, because, you know, performance enhancing drugs are bad. Kids don't 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 do those things. Stay away from drugs, kids. I do think that stylistically it's a good it's a good comparison. I think Brita is faster
4: awesome uh so ladies and gentlemen who are in the comments and watching this live we are now taking questions uh and i've got some preloaded here because i put it in the comment section that we're were about to joe marino i'm going to give this one to you uh grant turner asks question who would need to be off the board for etn to be the best option of valuable or best option of value sorry cb5 uh in the draft pass rush five where is the line so i guess the question is is everybody's gone right and now it's at the point where, like, from a BPA standpoint, meshed with it. Uh, obviously, we know that, like, it's BPA, BPA, and needs. It's never all BPA. It's never all needs. So, who, like, like who would have to be off the board for ETN to be the guy that the Bills go after?
1: Well, I mean, that's that's a challenging question. I, I would say that there would have to be all the corners that I wouldn't be comfortable picking at thirty. There would have to be all the edge defenders. I wouldn't be pick, comfortable picking at thirty. All of the wide receivers, which is a long list that I wouldn't be comfortable picking at thirty, and maybe even some offensive line options. So hmm. I mean, there's 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 a math problem here for me because there's going to be one of those players available when, especially when you consider you know that there's five quarterbacks that are going to come off the board before the Bills pick. Kyle Pitts is going to be off the board. You know, there's some there's going to be a player that I'm going to like more at a different position than ETN. Mm. So that's why I don't know that I would ever be able to pull the trigger on this because right. there is, there's only 30, there's only 29 players that can come off the board. I'm going to get a corner and edge, a receiver an offensive lineman that I like
4: better. Right. So. Right. Very good. Uh, Anthony Romeo says, Bruce is uh Brandon bean. And That's exactly what Brandon bean said in his end of year presser. So is there something we need to know here, Bruce? Are you, have you, are you Brandon Bean in disguise, and somehow you've managed to change your voice to the point where nobody knows who you are?
3: I mean, you've never seen me and Brandon Bean in the same place at the same time. But no, no, no. Um, if if I if I am indeed Brandon Bean, that I am, I am a little bit. Uh, I do have some uh, split personality disorder because there are moments when I disagree with myself.
4: That's very good. Uh, Intimidator Intimidator J asks, "Can you see the Bills drafting a slot wide receiver, third to fifth round wide receiver Daz Newsom?" Demetric Felton, Amari Rogers, Dwayne—I don't know why he capitalized all of Dwayne, Dwayne Estridge, etc. Either of you can take that question. Joe, the only one of it.
1: those, yeah, the only one of those I'd be interested in is Amari Rogers, um, Estridge, twenty-four-year-old converted cornerback to receiver, really struggles with ball skills and hands. I think he's a very limited route runner. I think he's just a fast guy. I don't. I'm not high on him. Demetric Felton, uh, not in on him at all. Uh, mm-hmm. Body catching, slot receiver, not big enough to play between the tackles. Won't help you on teams. I think he's bottom of the roster type player. That uh, especially on this Bills roster, I don't see a course for him. Daz Newsome, small, slow, no length. I mean, he's the most interesting. Maybe later in the draft, I can get behind that. But Amari Rogers would be the one guy here that would uh, would move the needle for me.
4: Very good, very good. It's amazing to me the fact that you have the capacity to remember all of these draft picks. Like, how much do you retain year to year? Like, I remember the guy that I scouted four years ago. Like, how much of that exists in your brain?
1: I don't know. I it's it's what I do, man. It's the job, right? So I mean <laughs> how, how how do you know the chords to uh you know every <laughs> song ever, you know what I mean? Like it's we all have our own little niches in life and that's so
4: funny others. it's uh, funny yeah. the, the brains definitely work different leo phillips welcome to the show thank you for the question if horn is there at 30 do we take him or will he not start over levi i don't remember which one of you said oh it was joe said that uh, that, that mcdermott loves levi more than likely it's because he's a great practice player because mcdermott has said that about certain guys before brian winters uh just to, as far as that goes but uh if horn is there at 30 do we take him or will he not start over levi
3: You take him and you need to probably have him start over Levi. I think that Horn's going to have a a developmental curve. Uh, I I took a lot of heat for having Horn as a first-round pick, but actually having him as CB7 on my -hmm. list because he's crazy grabby. I mean, he's really, really grabby. He is an extremely Mm -hmm. significant athlete. I have a bias when it comes to corners. I like physical but technical. That's just Mm -hmm. the way it is. It's the reason why Patrick Sertan is CB1 for me. JC Horn is an extremely talented athlete in man coverage, who I, I think he gets his chronology wrong, if, you know, playing corners a lot like playing offensive tackle feet, then hands, feet, then hands, feet, then hands. And sometimes when that chronology gets thrown off, you end up getting grabby yeah. and you're not, you know, sometimes you have players who can get away with it in college because they're so good athletically that they can get away with their technique being garbage. JC mm. horns, one of those players, he's such an unbelievable athlete that he can just get away with stuff that nobody else can get away with. So he's so athletic that you almost have to start him over Levi Wallace just because of the options he gives you. The options you have with J.C. Horn on the field to be able to play combo coverages and play a little bit more man are things that Levi Wallace just physically was not gifted by God to be able to do. It's just, he just can't do them. So if he's there at 30, yeah, you take him and yeah, you start him.
1: I want to ask Bruce a follow-up on on Horn um, because I really love Bruce's defensive back takes. I was listening to Bob Morris talk about scouting cornerbacks. He's a longtime NFL scout and renowned for his work on defensive backs. And he said something that really resonated with me when he was talking about some guys that he watched in 2017. He said, one thing that I look for in cornerbacks is athletic confidence. That ability, that trust that you have that, yeah, I do have the foot speed, I have the hips, and I can turn and run with this player and remain in phase and not get grabby, right? We can, anybody can watch JC Horn's tape and realize that this is a guy that's grabby when he's trying to stay in phase and demand coverage. Like he just does that. And I think for as good as his athletic testing was, it it was tremendous. I became more concerned about that athletic confidence. Not that JC Horn doesn't play for an edge and he's, you know, a really, Passionate competitor, like you, definitely get that. But when I see that that the timed measurements in terms of athletic testing, and I see the grabbiness on tape, I get concerned that he doesn't have that athletic confidence at this point.
3: You know, I never heard that term, athletic confidence, until you just said it. But it reminds me a little bit of the Joeism. That, it's a Joeism. The things that you see defensive <laughs> coaches talk about all the time when you say. Well, you know, he, he's learned the system. He doesn't have to think so much. He can just play fast. You see people talk about that all the time when it comes to defensive coaches. He doesn't have to think anymore. He can just play fast. And that's what you see in a corner when they have confidence in their technique. When you see, when they have confidence that I know my hip elevation's right. I know that I'm turning at the appropriate moment. I know what's developing in front of me. I know where my eyes are supposed to be. I know these things. And you see that in their body language. And that's kind of what you're talking about is that you see that in the idea that I know where I'm supposed to be. And mm. because of that, I can allow my feet to do the talking. And so earlier when I said, you know, feet, feet, hands, feet, hands, feet, hands, as a general rule, if your feet are good enough, the more feet you have to use, the less hands you have to use. And it's, it's, it's similar like that when you talk about offensive tackles, right? If you have someone who can, you ever watch Tevin? Oh, you of course you do. You watch Tevin Jenkins, okay? So Tevin Jenkins is is the meanest guy you've ever seen on the field. Like just completely unassuming offensive tackle from Oklahoma State. And then when you watch him on the field, and he jump sets out in front of a defensive end, and the defense is like, "Whoa, whoa, he's he's up on me!" And then all of a sudden he's he's at the water boy. Like that's what happens. The last thing that defensive end remembers was the the quarterback saying "hike," and then all of a sudden Tevin Jenkins is in front of them with his jump set, and then he's 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 on his back. And right. Devin Jenkins is laying over top of him. Like, that's the way that this happens. And it's because the feet went before the hands. You didn't lunge at a player. You let your feet get you in position and then you punched them. It's right. the same thing with JC Horn. And so when I see grabbiness, I've never even heard the phrase athletic confidence until now. But I feel like we all just kind of understand that. We just didn't really put a name on it until Joe just said it.
1: Well, credit Bob Morris. I, I never heard it before. And I think... It, I don't know that it's the same thing as trusting your technique. I think that's a a different thing. But, like, when you're the caliber of athlete that J.C. Horn is, like, brother, you can turn and run with guys. Like, you you have the explosiveness. You have the long speed. Why are you grabbing? Athletic confidence. And you can see this. It's not even guys that necessarily are great athletes. Like, guys that step on the field. Think about Patrick Mahomes. He steps on the field. That guy knows that he's that dude, right? Like, there's nobody that's going to mess with him because he has the traits to do whatever the hell he wants to do on the football field. And I think as soon as I heard that phrase, it really kind of dialed me in on that when I'm watching football players, because I think it matters a lot.
4: So would you reckon it to like Malik Hooker, like uh, when he was at OSU, like there was a great deal of like, he didn't have the greatest form in the world. There was just something about like, he knew he was better than right. Like the guy's coming at him. Right. That's the Which first thing I thought of.
1: Bruce, what do you think? Of? You watch more
3: Hooker than I, I do. I watched, I watched a lot of Malik. Yeah. Malik. Malik Hooker had rare understanding of space. Mm. Um, And we, we talk about that a lot. We talk a lot about playing well in space. And we He, he had the Micah Hyde trait. Right. That Micah right. Hyde trait where you just intrinsically know that the velocity of this ball is going to get it here at this time. And I'm X amount of distance. It's like doing long division and geometry in your head. Right. <laughs> And he had a, a tremendous understanding of space. And he had, he, I mean, he was really, really athletic. He just massive right. injury problems, massive injury problems. And, you know, he, he's too much. Safeties need to be dynamic in multiple ways in the NFL right now. One of the things that makes Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde so effective is that they're interchangeable. And Malik Hooker's not somebody I want down in the box. Mm. He is a single high or split safety only kind of player. And he's not someone you can bring. I don't want him in man coverage on a tight end. I don't want him down in the box attacking downhill a la Bob Sanders. I don't want any of those things out of him. So can you be a specialist safety? Not when the purpose of being a safety is being non-specialist. That's the value in being a good safety is not being a specialist. Because we've talked about this before. Specialists are predictable. And on defense, you can't have predictable specialists.
1: Right. Very good. Man, I remember watching Hooker and... I didn't have a first round grade on Malik Hooker, and I had a lot of other safeties higher rated than him. And I was like, I think the only thing that this guy does at a high level is defend deep zones, and I'm not sure that's good enough.
4: Right? Like, you, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: like I'm sure certainly he made plays on the ball, and that matters a lot. But like plays on the ball in deep zones, like that, you got to check more boxes for
4: mm-hmm. sure. A uh, couple more questions. Troy Garman asks, if traded, who would get more value? Uh, get more value back to the Bills, Moss or Singletary?
3: Oh geez, what?
4: Oh man, that's that's
3: that's brutal. That's a brutal question. I'm gonna go. It's it's brutal not because it's a bad question. It's brutal because it's hard. Um, I'm gonna say Moss. I'm gonna say Moss because his athletic his, his his athletic profile is better. He is one year less removed in his rookie contract, and I think that the running back class that he came from was a little different than the running back class that Devin Singletary came from Singletary is is, is a bad athlete from -hmm. a testing standpoint. And when he got taken, I said, you have to hope he's Devonta Freeman. That was the the, the ceiling comp. My absolute ceiling comp for Devin Singletary was Devonta Freeman. And if that's as high as you can go, because athleticism limits you above that, that's not a great spot to be in. So I'm going to say that Moss would return more because he's, has more time remaining on his rookie contract, and he's a better athlete.
1: Can I can I spike the football a little bit? <laughs> Absolutely. Go for it, Gronk. Gronk Spike. <laughs> I remember when the Bills drafted Devin Singletary, and I remember hosting the Lockdown Bills podcast and talking about my concerns with Devin Singletary, and I I remember being met with a lot of criticism because I questioned his athletic profile. And people were after me. He's like, Oh, Joe, he's a third round pick in the NFL. This guy's a good athlete. You know, like there's no way that he doesn't have great athleticism. Like, what are you talking about? You know, Brandon Bean said that if you watch his tape, it's extremely fun, right? It is. It's extremely fun. (laughs) At FAU, when he's making tacklers (laughs) from Tulsa and Tulane miss, right? Like you watch this guy and you're like, wow, he's kind of short and he doesn't have great size or power. Like, He's doing fun things. He's just not moving very fast. Like his tracks were always goofy, right? A lot of horizontal tracks with the football. And you start to think about, all right, well, no longer is this an an insurance salesman that's pursuing him from Memphis. It's frigging Dion Jones and Jerome Baker and NFL football players. Like there was, it was fair to question Devin Singletary's style combined with his athletic profile and how it would translate to the NFL. Now everybody understands that Devin Singletary is – he's he's in neutral. He doesn't have a second gear. The guy's just in neutral all the time, and that's the problem with Jarrett Patterson from Buffalo this year. I think the he's hard – He's discount Devin Singletary, and that's not a good thing.
4: <laughs> I think the problem that I have with that conversation – and I agree with you. I don't disagree, and this is where – this goes back to what we talked about about a half hour ago when Bruce said that, like, you know, we had the, the best offensive, like, team or outing for the Buffalo Bills ever in the history – with these two running backs, Devin Singletary at least has that dead leg. He's got moves. He's got things that can make guys miss. Zach Moss to me is the guy that like, I can turn left into the hole, or I can turn right into the guy trying to tackle me. And I turn right into the guy that tackles me every time. Like how do you
1: reconcile Bruce? How do you reconcile that? Because I liked Moss at Utah. Like I didn't, I didn't expect this for me. I think I do
3: think early foot injuries can do that to you because I really think that when you, if you look at the reason why Zach Moss wasn't as effective as we otherwise would have and you think to yourself okay, you know, some of that some of that pop that you get from lateral quickness that you see from Devin Singletary all the time, that, that that play that he runs off left tackle against the Steelers and he seemingly has eyes in the back of his head and stops and makes a quick jump cut, that's the type of explosive pop that you don't get if you have a bum foot. And I I'm just Sample size is important when you're hurt. So we just finished talking about Zach Moss and running backs being able to come in and be immediate impact players. Do we not accept that your level of immediate impact would be lessened if you've got a bad foot? For me, I, I just, I it's a little bit like Tremaine Edmonds and the shoulder. Right? You might say to yourself, like one of the things we talked about all year long was, well, yeah, Tremaine Edmonds got a shoulder, but what does that have to do with the struggles I'm seeing from Tremaine Evans? And we said, well, you know, if you're trying to manipulate your body to take on less contact at that shoulder, then your, pro- your tackling efficiency is probably going to be worse. And you're going to be subconsciously trying to avoid contact from blockers coming downhill to try and take your head off. All of those things apply to Zach Moss in the foot too, I think.
4: there's just There's just not a whole lot. One game. We got one game to see Antonio Williams there's just not a whole lot that Zach Moss is bringing to this offense that Antonio Williams is not going to bring the exact same thing plus some because the dude really wants to be on the football field
1: well I've, I mean I if if I want to continue believing in Zach Moss which there's no reason to write him off I'm certainly going to cling to what Bruce said there that you know turf toe right off the bat for the guy you know certainly put him behind and then you have an offensive line where your best five never took a snap together You know what I mean? Like they, they, they had scheme issues all year long with it. So, I mean, there was a lot of ingredients working together that were working against Zach Moss, but I think at the end of the day, I mean, I, I, I'm more optimistic about Moss next year than I am Singletary
4: sure anthony romeo uh has asked me if i saw this question is what i thought this was just a question for the comments so i'm going to ask it to you guys how much difference is there between rb1 and rb10 in this draft there are multiple other opportunities to draft valuable rb to draft a valuable rb running back i don't see that at other positions edge cornerback o-line after rounds one and two
1: i think there's a monumental drop off I think you have three top backs this year. Travis Etienne, Najee Harris, Alabama, Javante Williams. If I go to my 10th running back at the Draft Network, one, two.
4: Do we lose Joe?
3: Yep, I think we lost
4: Joe. He'll be back in a second. (laughs) What are your thoughts on that, uh, uh, Bruce?
3: No, I I actually agree. I agree with Joe. I think that there is a big drop-off here. And what happens is you go from the do-it-all running backs to the specialists, mm-hmm. you get to the Javian Hawkinses of the world out of Louisville, and you know JV and Hawkins is a fun, you know, a fun watch. But he's Anthony McFarland again. Do you remember mm-hmm. Anthony McFar- McFarland out of Maryland? Oh yeah, oh yeah, Anthony oh, McFarland. Yeah. He got drafted by the Steelers in the fourth round, I think, and he's backing up Benny Snell now. Benny right. Snell, the plotter from Kentucky. Right, he's backing. Right. He's backing up because Anthony McFarland being fast is important and that's wonderful, but there's a lot more to being a running back than being fast. And right. if it was just about being fast, then, you know, Anthony McFarland's of the world and the Javian Hawkinses of the world would be first round picks, not for me, but for somebody else. And I, I think that really what you have is you have three running backs who can come in and really do it all. They mm. can be bell cows. If you have a bell cow style system, which mind you, the bills don't. Sean McDermott has openly said it is not good for one person to get all the carries. So if you invest a significant amount of premium in running back, know full well that you are also handicapping that by usage. Just know that you're doing that because Sean McDermott has flat out said it's not good for one running back to handle all the carries. He used this as an excuse to continue to give carries To Frank Gore, who was woefully ineffective at the time, over a more effective Devin Singletary. When asked about it, he openly said it's not good for one person to run the ball. And if he used that as an example as to why you shouldn't give Singletary more carries, then he's going to use it again. So if you invest significant capital for this Buffalo Bills team in a running back, know that you're getting 50% or 40% of the total carries from that running back.
4: I'm going to answer this question for Phil. Phil asked, "Do you believe that the Bills will pay over 35 million per year for Josh Allen?" The answer is yes. <laughs> uh, question from uh J L J O. What round would you be comfortable with the Bills spending on Jav- Javian Hawkins?
3: He's a fourth or fifth round guy. He's he's mid, he's probably
4: fifth? he's mid-day 3. He's a specialist. It's funny. These names. I don't know. Eric's Swe- like, uh, welcome to the show, Eric. Uh, good to see you again, brother. Uh, would the bills dare at 30 pick Pat Friermuth or Brevian and Jordan with no glaring holes or CB two and pass rush more pressing.
3: I think Friermuth is a day two guy. Um, I think he's a complete tight end, but I don't think the same level of upside is there that you see from tight ends necessary to go in the first round. Mm-hmm. Um, Brevin Jordan is extremely raw. Um, the vast majority of all Brevin Jordan's targets were f- within four yards of line scrimmage. Wow. He was, a he was a bubble screen tight end and he's not even that good of an athlete. So I am, I'm not all the way out on Brevin Jordan, but I'm most
4: of the way out on Brevin Jordan. We are, uh, going really long, but we're almost done. Tom Colling asks anyone you guys would trade up for if so, how high would, how high would you go for, and for how much? So who's a guy that you would jump up and get, and what would you be willing to pay?
3: I wouldn't be willing to jump up high because I don't want to give up. I just finished going off in this huge rant about how luxury picks aren't a thing and you have to make <laughs> sure that you plan. So if that's the case, then clearly I'm not team trade all your assets and go up.
4: Obviously. Uh, thank, you not, so, thank you for not Thank you for not being a politician. I appreciate that.
3: So I'm not going to be, I'm, I'm not going to talk out of both sides of my mouth, but if I were to trade up, I mean, you have to think you're trying to get somebody who can come in and be dynamic at an area of need. So Jalen Phillips would be someone who, if he fell to the 20s and you wanted to move up a couple spots to make sure that you get one of the rare edge rusher classes, Mm -hmm. you know, this is not a great edge rusher class. And if Jalen Phillips happens to be there, it's a rare opportunity. You don't get players like that that often. The only reason he might even be available is because of some off the field concerns and because of some concerns about his concussion history. Uh, Caleb Farley, if he starts to fall because of the back injury, he's my CB2 in the class. If he fell to the mid 20s
4: i think about it awesome uh chris e asks since the roster is pretty much set could you see the bills trading up on uh multiple times to get like three good players that can make an impact in this draft and trading away the rest of the picks probably probably not would be my guess uh, i could i see it no i couldn't see it because
3: brandon be aggressive but he's not that aggressive that, right that's that's a borderline reckless move And Brandon Bean has always been aggressive, but he's been responsibly aggressive. When he traded up for Josh Allen, he didn't trade away future picks. And that was really important because we needed that pick to trade for, you know, Stephon Diggs. We needed that player to be able to contribute to talent around him. So Mm. he's been aggressive without being reckless. And I think that would probably classify as being reckless, which I don't think the Bills would do.
4: I saw a question about: Are the Bills interested? Oh, here's from Stephen Lynn: Are the Bills interested in former Jets linebacker we brought to the practice squad this year, the former first round pick? I don't know who he's talking about. He's talking about Darren Lee, uh, who yeah, ended
3: Jeff. up. He was uh, Darren Lee was a run and chase linebacker. He had speed coming out of college. I he was an Ohio State guy, so I watched a lot of Darren Lee. But there yeah. was always a processing issue for Darren Lee. Darren Lee, um, the best way to think about it is: Do you remember? The linebacker that the Bills drafted out of the University of Florida just a couple of years ago. Um, I cannot remember his name off the top of my head. And I, I, I it's driving me absolutely. Bochon Joseph is his name. Bochon <laughs> Joseph was a seaball <laughs> get ball. The fact that I forgot his name tells you something.
4: You forgot Beauchon it in Joseph about three c- seconds and he had it right back there. Like it came right c- back to, was, to you. Bochon Joseph was a seaball
3: get ball. And yeah. as long as he didn't have to process anything in front of him, he was okay. Right. Darren right. Lee is that, but more athletic. So if you were able to get something from Darren Lee, I consider that a success, but I wouldn't count on it.
4: Gotcha. Last question for the night, ladies and gentlemen, you are watching the Hump Day Hotline on the Buffalo Rumblings Vidcast Network. I'm joined by my guest, Bruce Nolan, and we are long past the debate and the heated, passionate discussion that I would probably say at this point, I would say you won. And the reason that I would say you won is because Joe Marino, who was supposed to be on my side throughout the whole like running backs that actually didn't make it in the first round. But anyways, Daniel Garris, uh, who, is, uh, who is my guy, asked, where do you see Joseph Asai, edge rusher from Texas, going in the draft? Is he a possible fit for the Buffalo Bills defense?
3: I like... A sigh a lot more as a three four stand-up rusher than I do as a four three base mm. defensive end
4: that's a, that's I, big there's a whole show to be done on three four versus four mm. three as far as like uh, there is a difference they're not the same hybrids don't mean that they're the same and like if a guy's a three four guy he's not a three four three at a four if he's a four three guy he's not a three four go ahead for he's just he's not overly twitchy and <clears throat> he uses
3: his length well and that's good I think that's important and you can you can make do with long-armed edge defenders who can use their length well like if you can do that you can have a spot in this league for a long time just based on that tree and so i think osai is a day two guy i wouldn't be upset by any means i think he translates a little bit better to a three four but i wouldn't be mad
4: right gotcha Bruce Nolan uh bring in all the fire tonight on the hump on the hump day hotline and I I I feel bad and I apologize that we lost Joe Marino mid sentence and he actually didn't make it back so I don't know if his like internet is down if his computer crashed or what but Bruce do the listeners a favor and there's a bunch of them uh tell them where to find you
3: Well, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. My show, The Bruce Exclusive, which you are listening to right now as part of this, drops on Thursdays and Fridays on the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. And you will continue to find me yelling about not taking running backs in the program.
4: (laughs) I'm the alpha lady!
1: I'm the omega baby!
4: I just can't get it. Just had to get it. (laughs) Can't get enough of it. Oh, I'm sorry that I'm driving and I keep rolling that in there. But uh yes, and ladies and gentlemen, you have been watching the Hump Day Hotline on the Buffalo Rumblings Vidcast Network. I am your host of the Hump Day Hotline, Joe Miller. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Miller Wired. I'm also the host of the overreaction podcast that airs live on Sunday nights here on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, and then it obviously drops on uh, Monday mornings, well, Monday afternoon, somewhere around twelve o'clock on the Buffalo Rumblings uh, podcast network. Bruce, this has been fun. Like this has been a good time. Like this was. Uh, it, 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 this is one of those. This is one of those times for me where it's like I had this feeling last week when Spence and I did the Humpty Hotline. It was just like, man, that that episode was fire. Like there was just the content was great, and it, it, like the the comment section. I don't know if you've been watching it, has been filled up with just people saying like. Like this, this, this this episode has just been incredible. So thank you. Let me just say, thank you.
3: Well, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it.
4: (laughs) Did I render you speechless? Like, is that what just happened there? I don't get rendered speechless. I do. occasionally leave myself on mute though. (laughs) (laughs) I do see you pop up mute more than anybody I've ever seen. Like you literally like run with the mute button often, but, uh, uh, thank you for joining me. Thank you for sitting in for Spence. Uh, tonight, who uh, was uh, I thought he was traveling, but he was clearly parked somewhere. I don't know where he was parked just before he ended our show. Uh, but uh, for 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 myself, for Bruce, for everybody involved, Bruce give me a go, Bills, go Bills. Go Bills. We'll talk to you guys on the flip side. Until next time, I'll see you Sunday night. We'll see you Wednesday night. We'll see you coming up. There's a lot of good stuff coming up this offseason. The draft is April 29th, I believe. And all of these questions that we have are going to be answered. Until then, this is Joe Miller signing off for the Humpty Hotline. Love you guys. We'll talk to you soon.